Hey y'all, and welcome to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, and violence, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white people about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. My name is Drew. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm a queer clergy person ordained in the Alliance of Baptist Tradition. I'm speaking to you from Muskogee lands that are also referred to as Atlanta, Georgia. I work here as a chaplain with Emory University Healthcare. This is a podcast designed with white listeners in mind. It is, of course, for anyone and everyone to listen to, and we deeply value feedback from listeners of color and those of diverse faith traditions. But we are acknowledging that we white folks have extra work to do, that it is our responsibility to learn how to resist the forces of white supremacy that we are complicit with. This podcast specifically is about using our religious teachings to help us in the work of resisting whiteness. We begin our discussion today with a brief grounding. This is the poem In Those Years by Adrian Rich. Take a deep breath, breathing out any anxiety or tension you might be feeling, and hear these words. In those years, people will say, we lost track of the meaning of we, of you. We found ourselves reduced to I, and the whole thing became silly, ironic, terrible. We were trying to live a personal life, and yes, that was the only life we could bear witness to. But the great dark birds of history screamed and plunged into our personal weather. They were headed somewhere else, but their beaks and pinions drove along the shore through the rags of fog where we stood, saying I. Our scripture reading today comes from the first chapter of Acts, verses 6 through 14. I am reading from the Common English Bible translation. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, It isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away, and as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here, looking toward heaven? This is Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they entered the city, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Alphaeus' son, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, James' son, all were united in their devotion to prayer, along with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Well, if this isn't one of those times when the lectionary text seems to reach directly at the heart of what we are facing today, when the disciples ask, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And Jesus replies, it's not for you to know when. I can't help but connect that to how I feel about our experience of pandemic. As we accept that our responses to the spread of virus may last many, many months longer than we had first hoped, we too find ourselves asking, can our work be done now? The disciples are left with no clear answers about when. They are instructed to keep pushing, keep organizing, keep working for the movement. And when Jesus leaves them, they gather together in prayer, reminding us that when the work ahead is hard and long, we start first with connection to each other. Capitalism and white supremacy would have us believe in the individual. As Adrian Rich's poem states it, white supremacy is the voice that makes us forget the meaning of we and you. White supremacy asks us to believe that we are a product of our individual achievements and contributions and selfhood. This is a myth. It is a myth that there is ever any such thing as a creature that exists in isolation. This myth is born out of empiricism and enlightenment, some of the same philosophical ideas that we know function in racism and colonialism. But truly, you can't tell me where I start and stop as an individual. There are parts of me formed by my family, my culture, the history of the land on which I grew up, the weather patterns that shaped the environment, the food that I ate from others' labor, and the education I received from others' study and explanation, the inherited wealth and cultural capital of prior generations that gave me access to so many tangible and intangible resources, No part of me exists of its own accord. There was always a before, and there is always an accompaniment. The same goes for whatever I produce. My words and actions all affect others, 
go into some other being's formation and life story. Studies show that practicing gratitude is one of the more impactful things that we can do for our own mental health. And I think this is because that gratitude reminds us that we are inextricably linked with the well-being of everyone else around us. Gratitude is especially vital for us white folks. It helps us recenter on how we are complicit in privilege and power. It helps us to remember what we have that we didn't earn and build up our humility, our empathy, and our generosity. We need gratitude to help us dismantle white supremacy, both societally and within our own hearts. Which poses the question, how do we cultivate and practice gratitude? One of the first things I think about is prayer. Most of us, when we are children, the first prayers we are taught are prayers of thanks. Returning to our text, then, I wonder, for these disciples in an upstairs room, when they are readying themselves for the monumental task of continuing Jesus' work without him, that if it wasn't a prayer of gratitude that they started with together, a prayer of remembering that they are nothing without one another, and making it even more real to me, is to remember that the story of the disciples continuing the ministry of Jesus is also a story about grief. Even amidst the hope of resurrection, the disciples are learning to live life without the presence of their beloved friend. They are learning how to pick up and move forward amid loss. And it occurs to me that grief is something that makes our gratitude sharper and more vital. We can't recover from the grief of losing something or someone without being able to identify what we are glad to have had in the first place. And as we reel from the effects of pandemic, are we not ever more aware of this inextricable link to everything and everyone? Public health sits on the premise that we are bound up in one another's survival and liberation. And we are at that confounding point that, yes, staying home and shutting down businesses to save lives has also caused economic strife and loss and grief. But we've seen the alternative. We have seen the hate-filled individualism spouted by white supremacy as gun-bearing protests are held by white people in some of the hardest-hit states where people of color are disproportionately victims. The eyes of white supremacy look at that situation and demand reopenings for the comfort of a few, at the expense of a whole. And as we reel from two more murders of unarmed black people in this country, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and the murder of Breonna Taylor, We white folks simply cannot choose individualism any longer. Individualism, as rooted in white supremacy, leads to murder, lynchings, slavery, colonialism, genocide. Again and again and again. And yet, here we are still trying to talk about Easter. For us white folks, 
We let Easter become a meaningless mockery if we don't take seriously the truth that our salvation is bound up in the well-being of others. When we ask if the work of the kingdom is going to happen, we have to be ready for Jesus' answer. It's not for you to know, but stop standing and look to, looking towards heaven and get to work instead. That's how the kingdom will come about. And so we carry on and look out for one another. Thanks be to God that we are not in this alone. are so many ways that you can take action this week in the aftermath of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor's killing to help bring the systems and individuals responsible for their murder to justice and to continue to fight against hate crimes and the modern day lynchings of black people in this country. On the Surge website at www.showingupforracialjustice.org, look for the page hashtag justice for Ahmaud where you can see opportunities to call for justice, donate funds to organizations on the ground, and get involved with organizing and get out the vote for systemic change. Even in this moment of social distancing, there are so many ways that you can be of help. It is our duty as white people to contribute to this work. If you want to receive updates from Surge Faith, please sign up for our newsletter. Our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can respond to the podcast by commenting there or on our Facebook or Twitter accounts. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which includes references, resources, and action links. And finally, a huge shout out as always to our sound editor this week, Max Pearl. Thank you so much for listening and journeying with me. Peace to you, beloveds. Wow.